You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Why Shamanism Now. This is our final episode live from New York, and that does mean you can call in or send us an email. So we call in the spirits here. To be with us here today, to hold us well, that we might do what must be done, that the answers uh, can come for the questions that you hold in your mind and your heart. We call out to the ancestors, for those of everyone who is listening, and to my own, to bring all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines here. It is on their shoulders that we stand and we ask that they help us to see the vision of a future that could be and to dream with courageous hearts about what could happen should we see this time of collapse all around us as opportunity. So we call out to the ancestors and all of those ancestors who lived through times of great chaos and collapse to be with us, to help us to seize this moment with our hearts and create. We call out to the energy of the earth and ask it to be with us here today. And as we talk about the visionary today, we ask the earth to help us to stay grounded to stay connected to where we belong, to where we are held well, to our sense of community and our sense of stewardship over this exquisite planet on which we live that we all share. And as we think about visions for the future, may they be visions that are good for all living things, not just people, but animals and plants, the environment, the elementals, all that makes this home exquisite. So we call out to the energy of the earth to be with us here today to hold us in that way that we may be grounded in our reality and open in our hearts to vision. We call out to the energy above, to the sky energy, to bring us generosity and blessing and help us to remember the exquisite nature of miracle of life. We call out for protection to hold us well in our time here together, that we might have the courage to dream powerfully. We call out to the energy of the heart that binds it all, that weaves and connects and binds it all together, the place where we are all one. We call out to the energy of the heart to help us today to be that place that we can mix and dance and find the joy of the connection between the passion that we carry in our body and the clarity that comes to us through our mind that we might craft in our heart the true vision of this life. What is each one of us here to do in this life? This is the question of the visionary. So we call out to the heart to be with us here today and all of our helping spirits to gather around as we join together in this discussion. Welcome, everyone. This is part four of the four-part series about the courageous heart. And why are we bothering with the courageous heart at this moment? Because this is a visionary time. How do I know this? Because it's a time of chaos and collapse. It is a time in which lies are collapsing, and that always means the visionary has grown weary, has grown weary of what does not ring true, that which does not resonate well with all life. The visionary has grown weary, and things begin to collapse. The lies around us begin to collapse, and creating an opportunity for a higher state of truth to be born out of our actions, out of our thoughts, words, and deeds. And I've seen this very clearly in my sessions here in New York. I've been doing session after session for about three weeks here in Manhattan. And unlike any other time in 18 years that I have done this, I have never seen so much energy in things in which we had contracts, relationships, marriages, money, houses, all of the things that involved contractual relationships collapsing. Because somewhere over time, 
Too many clauses were added to those contracts, and they no longer resonate with the truth of the people involved, the people engaged through those contractual dynamics. And so here, uh, particularly in Manhattan, just it's so obvious all of the collapsing of the lies and all of the people being held accountable. And what the visionary asks us to do, however, is not to fixate on what's not working because that's actually the visionary heart in fear, but to move out of the doubt about living in chaotic, collapsing times and to seize this moment as a moment of blessing, as a moment of opportunity. Yes, many of us need to get our house in order, granted. Many of us may even need to find a house, and I don't say that lightly. But in this time is incredible opportunity if we can clear our doubting hearts and open to the visionary energy that wants to move through each one of us in this time. So this is a topic for our conversation here today. The visionary heart. And this is the fourth chamber of the heart, the fourth archetypal energy that helps us to live our true soul's purpose, the, the completion of our journey here in the courageous heart. And remember, again and again and again, in each of the sessions I have done, some way, somehow, it has come up that we are reminded that the medicine for this time of lies collapsing is the courageous heart. This has come up no matter who the person is, no matter what the problem they're bringing up, somewhere this theme has emerged over these weeks of sessions with people. It is the time for those of us who can to step into our courageous heart and to dream, to act, to connect, and to build a new future, a possible future that has not yet existed on the planet. So, we have gathered the love with the healer energy and we have cultivated wisdom through our warriorship and we have um, cultivated power with the teacher. So what remains is the question of what do I do with all of this? What do I do with this big, full heart and this great wisdom from learning how to act in a right use of will in the world with the warrior? And now I've cultivated this power as a teacher. I stand in my life poised in balance and wholeness, ready to act with love and wisdom. But what do I do? That is the question we bring to the visionary heart. What is your soul's purpose? Why are you here? That's the question of the visionary. And that is what is so exciting about the visionary. Because in this aspect of the heart, we are forced by the very severity of the question, why are you here, to become honest, to stop lying to ourselves, to stop telling the stories, to stop hiding in the shadow, to do all of those things that we have done to survive and recognize that in this moment, survival is no longer the issue. If you are standing here asking the question, why am I here, you have survived. You can check that off your list. Now the question is, what did I come here to do and how do I do it? And so this is the um, issue, the challenge, the whole dynamic of the visionary or the seer is what is required to keep a clear heart so that I can understand through the entire complement of healer, warrior, teacher, and visionary what it is that I've come into this life to do. So before we get too far down that particular path, I'd like to um, talk about some terms we're going to be using today and talk about some misunderstanding, clear up some misunderstanding around the visionary energy. So first off, I'm going to talk a lot today about soul's purpose because this is in certainly in the bailiwick of the visionary. And let's be sure that we're clear that there is a distinction between your soul's purpose and the vehicle through which you express it in your life. In other words, what you're doing is a vehicle whether you're parenting, whether you're 
um, a journalist or an artist or um, a financier, whether you're a computer person, it doesn't matter what those jobs are. All of those jobs, whether they're paid jobs or unpaid jobs, are vehicles for expression of your soul's purpose. And the question that we're asking as we choose our work in the world is, is this work a good vehicle for my soul's purpose or not? And a good vehicle for your soul's purpose means the energy going in one side of the work day comes out on the other side with lots of expression of soul's purpose. Bad vehicles require an enormous amount of energy from you and very little opportunity to express your soul's purpose. And so that's what we're looking at today. Not just what is your soul's purpose, but by which vehicle will you express that in the world. And most of us have several vehicles. Um, Many of you are parents. That should be a vehicle for your soul's purpose. Most of us work in the world, another vehicle for the soul's purpose, etc. Okay, we're coming up on the break, so I'm going to try to talk about these things before we need to... um, break for a moment. So one of the things that's important to understand about the visionary is the serious extent to which this energy is misused in our culture. It's misused spiritually. I'm sure every single one of you has been to a workshop or on a trip to another country or been involved with spiritual leaders or or simply charismatic teachers that are so good about whipping everybody into a froth around a vision and getting people aligned and united and ready to go forward towards that vision, and then the event is over and there's no follow-through. That is abuse of the vision of the visionary energy. It is not a mature use by the leader, but it's also a problem for you choosing to be in that situation because it sets up then an addictive relationship with the visionary energy. You want to go back to that person over and over again to keep getting that high, to keep getting inspired by that person. And so instead of using what you're learning from the teacher to um, inspire your own passion towards your own vision, you're going back again and again like a junkie um, to get your spiritual high fix. From the teacher, and so that's a problem both on the side of the teacher and those who are going. Um, there's also a problem mentally, and most of us see this, or psychologically, in advertising. It's perfectly fine to advertise what you do. Say, this is who I am. I make blue widgets. They're the best blue widgets you've ever seen because of these reasons. Come buy my widgets. The problem is when you say. You can have this woman or man and this life and this relationship if you buy my blue widget. And so it's that manipulation because of people's dreams. So these are problems and common misuse of the visionary. So we'll come back to this after the break and um, begin to move into then what the real issues are with the visionary aside from the way this energy is misused all over the place in our culture. So I hope you'll continue to stay with me here today and remember that we're live. Please feel free to call in at 866-472-5795 or email me at christina at lastmasscenter.org. Thank you very much, everyone. Welcome back, everyone. Before the break, we were talking about misuse of the visionary energy. And mostly all misuse of the visionary energy amounts to allowing yourself to be seduced or engaging in the seduction of others. Um, around vision and story, fantasy, dreams, this whole realm um, is all in the visionary realm. So again, those are stories, and storytelling is a very powerful aspect of our world, but particularly shamanism, dreams, and fantasies. And we'll talk about those as we go forward. But basically, um, back to this idea of the misuse of the visionary energy. So these are all arenas in which vision of one form or another is being used to seduce or to manipulate. And so we talked about how that can happen with very charismatic leaders or um, in a spiritual training process with workshops or trips, things like that. talked about how it works psychologically. It's a huge piece of advertising. And not all advertising is bad, but we need to make a distinction between advertising that is simply someone who has something to offer, telling people honestly and clearly what that is and where they are and how people can get it, versus um, the seduction of if you purchase this blue widget, every single other issue in your life will be solved. 
which is, of course, silly. We all know that, but there's a whole lot of manipulation that goes on through advertising, for example. Um, there's also a lot of psychological manipulation that goes on in other arenas of our life. I'm sure you can think of those yourself. But I wanted to move on to emotionally. In our emotional life, we seduce ourselves constantly. And part of that seduction is comes out of these unresolved stories that we drag around. So, for example, it's taking a job that doesn't remotely suit your soul's purpose or you don't feel any passion for, but emotionally you feel that job will uh, fulfill that role your wounded child feels for a need for safety or something like that. So the emotionally, this job seems to equate, equate safety for you, and so you take a job for that reason. Or you get into a relationship for reasons that have to do with some story that you think needs to be resolved versus, versus the feeling passionately, this is the path for me, and I can commit wholeheartedly to it. And I'm not lying to myself in the process of making this choice. So so we seduce ourselves constantly, emotionally. And as we talked about, part of the work of the teacher and coming into true power is to be able to dismantle our stories so that we're not operating out of the fear of the past, which is story-driven, but also attachment to the future. Because of this in the past, I want this in the future, and that's the only way I'm going to take it. That's also a problem, especially when we start working them with the visionary energy because we already think we know, and that's a problem when we move into, into visioning. So basically my point is spiritually, mentally, or emotionally, we can all get seduced at any moment around visionary energy. And part of the process at, in the cycle training uh, at Last Mass Center is to become unseducible. And that is an aspect of our work so that we are able then to show up at the door of the visionary for the visionary teaching as a person who, through the work with the healer and the warrior and the teacher, is unseducible. And then we're ready to engage with the visionary. And so the real energy of the visionary is not the question, what is my soul's purpose? Many people bring that to the visionary, and the visionary just tells them to go away. Because what is my soul's purpose? Well, number one, the spirit world's never going to tell you the answer to that directly. It's just not how it works. That's like the whole point of your life. There isn't a spirit around who's going to say, oh, by the way, this is your soul's purpose. You know, But your life is telling you every day. Every single day things are going on in your life that are reminding you what your soul's purpose is. And most people are turning it away because it's bigger than they imagine that it could be. And most people sell themselves very short and ask for much less from life than what their soul's purpose really requires. So keep that in mind as we talk about this today. So the real issue of the visionary is not what is my soul's purpose. If you can't imagine what your soul's purpose is, there's actually an issue that's in the camp of the healer or the warrior or the teacher. Because if you can't imagine or see visions or possibilities, you're actually blocked. It's not the visionary's job at that point. It, you need to go back into some kind of healing or warriorship or some sort of um, shifting of your energy in the other realms. When you show up ready for the visionary work and ready to work on your clear heart, which is the visionary's heart and love, the issue isn't what is my purpose but which one. Because when we're really ready for the visionary and our heart is clear, there are so many great ideas. There are so many options that the true challenge of the clear heart and the visionary is to find the one that sings most beautifully with you, resonates most clearly with you, and opens up most passionately your deep core being to be expressed through that vision. So it's not what is my vision, but which one? And with that comes the challenge that I've already spoken about. But the other big issue of the visionary is attachment to outcome. I'll share a story there. I had a client once who was um, kind of on the verge of breaking in as a pop singer. And then she met the love of her life, and then they had a child, and the next thing she knew, several years had gone by, and it was three children later, and she hadn't broken through as a pop star. And she was 
she was concerned because she wasn't really you know working with her music and she thought she'd abandoned her vision and yet being in love and having a family and having children had been part of her vision for her life as well and so she was very conflicted and confused about this and frustrated and on top of all of that um two of her children had um challenge physical challenges and one of them actually was deaf and she was having a particularly bad day and the kids were all over the place and she was just at her wits end and couldn't do anything and finally she just locked herself in her room and got out her guitar and started playing and singing some old songs some new little riffs this and that but just expressing herself through her music again and when she came out of that room the first thing she noticed is the kids were calm And so what happened is that they were being stirred by her disconnection from her passion. And as she stepped back into her passion, she was able to be a much clearer mother, basically, for her children. And what came out of that day was a whole bunch of creative projects that had to do with music for children and also working with music and rhythm with deaf children. And this whole understanding that there was this way that her music could be a huge expression in her life. It just wasn't that old picture she had of making it as a pop star. And so it was her attachment to the pop star vision that had robbed her of her music for the first several years of her children's lives because she only saw it in that form format. So it's important to understand how powerfully our attachment to what something should look like robs us of vision, which is a big challenge, isn't it? Because we're learning all of these things right now about manifesting our future, which requires a clear vision. So how does that work? How do we deal with that? One of the main things to understand about the visionary energy, it is not so much about the outcome as it is about clearly seeing yourself in the moment. It is about the honesty and integrity with which I see are the four chambers of my heart working in love or are they operating in fear? Am I noticing the addictions that come out of the fearful heart or am I in a courageous heart? It's about noticing the things going on in my life that are telling me you have issues to deal with. You have aspects of yourself that want to be understood Your life is trying to show you situations to do that, and you're ignoring that and blaming it on these other annoying people, who, of course, aren't the annoying people. They're the gifts your life is giving you to see where you need to work on. The visionary is about being willing to see yourself in shadow, being willing to see yourself in the shadow archetype energies, to be able to see that you've been caught up in a story and you're now acting out of a past experience you've had that is not true in the moment. And it's also about recognizing these stories and dreams that attach you to future outcomes that you have no way of knowing if that's the way it should really be. And so the visionary is more about clear vision internally to your own heart and soul, your own authenticity, your own integrity, and your own impeccability than it is about, you know, what is the vision of my life. That people focus so much on manifesting that picture of what they believe they want in the future, and they miss the place in which they are most powerful, which is on their self in the moment. And so having that clear vision on yourself in the moment allows you to operate where you are most clear, because the truth is your soul's purpose And the vision you are going to live into already exists. If you're not living it, the important question is, what's in the way? And the answer is you. And so a big part of the visionary's gift to us is the capacity to see clearly within ourselves. And the gift of the cycle of transformation is a huge skill set. When the visionary says, that's what you need to work on, you know exactly the skill set to use. And so that is the gift of the visionary, is how do you get out of your own way to allow the soul's purpose that already exists to emerge, to be lived, and to resonate deeply with this true song of your soul, and to offer that out to the world to resonate with the songs of other souls so that we can create a new world. 
So with that in mind, we're moving to our next break, and I hope to have questions and emails from you in the next section of our show. Thank you all. So back to our topic at hand today, which is the visionary energy. So what is the shadow of the visionary? So when our heart, our visionary heart, goes into fear and the clear heart becomes a doubting heart, doubting yourself, doubting others, doubting the vision. Now remember, with the healer we cultivated faith, and with the teacher we cultivated trust. And so if we're moving into doubt, when we've already cultivated faith and trust, there's a problem and we've slipped into fear. So what we don't usually notice is that subtle slip of the heart from love to fear, what we notice is the addictive behavior that comes out of it. And what comes out of the doubting heart is a fixation on what's not working. And think about that. I mean, it makes a whole lot of sense, right? When when we're connected to the vision, we usually have a pretty big picture of what's going on. We may scope down to what it is we need to be doing today. But when we start to fixate on what's not working, we microscope down to this tiny little piece of the whole great big story that is not working. Now, personally, in my life story, I spent a whole lot of years of my life in depression before my shamanic initiation. And that depression just kept cycling around, getting in deeper and deeper and deeper every year. And one of the things about depression, at least for me and the way I experienced is, boy, that was scoping down on what wasn't working. I mean, nothing was working. And that was all I could see. And so in in that, in that doubt and in that depression, I really was always focused down on this minutia of what wasn't working. And the beauty for me in in the reconciliation in my relationship with depression was the ability to open up to this great passion that I have for this idea that shamanism brings us, that every single one of us is unique, that we each have a unique soul's purpose to bring to the world, and that's the purpose of our life, is to discover that and give it. That is so exciting to me. And the whole idea of that opens me up, opens up my passion, and opens up my vision for things. And what I found in the very beginning of my practice, when I was still very uncertain, and yet beginning to practice with people, and understand, this was not a pretty time. I was getting up in the morning, doing my yoga, going to my nine-hour-a-day job. I mean, nine, $9 an hour job in Manhattan, thank you very much, leaving to go to dance class, coming back to work, leaving work to go to rehearsal, coming back home and seeing one client in the evening. It was a very, very challenging time. But what happened after the shamanic work was I always found myself in a remarkable place of recognition that everything was as it should be. So it really scoped me out to the big vision and that ability to trust and have faith that everything was as it needed to be. And frankly, the shamanic healing work always brings me back to that place. It is... um, for me, it's part of the value in it. And so what does it do? Because it's such a good vehicle for my soul's purpose, it clears my heart. It always clears my heart. All that work with spirit clears my heart. So my vision opens up and I can see the big picture again and I get out of scoping in on what's not working in my life. And believe me, in every single day, there's a whole dozen things that aren't working because my life is just like everybody else's in that sense. But the beauty of doing work that is an expression of your soul's purpose is that it scopes you back out to the big vision. And it helps you to accept that while there are always going to be things that aren't working as you'd like them to be, that the vision is in motion. And that you are in motion in the process of its manifestation and its realization. And living it. And then opening up to the next vision. So, the shadow. I think I got a little distracted there. The visionary always does that to me. So the shadow, then, of the visionary, when the heart goes into fear, we go into doubting heart, we fixate on what's not working, what's happening in terms of the archetypal energy. So we're in the moment. Remember how this whole shadow archetypal energy works. So we're in the moment. The moment is asking for a visionary. 
And boy, if we are not living in a time that is asking for a visionary. And I'm sorry, giving that job to Obama is not good enough, everybody. Every single one of us needs to step up to the visionary capacity within ourselves. And in that way, we can align together to communal visions and national visions and potentially global visions. But there isn't a leader who can do that for you. That goes back to the thing I talked about in the beginning of the show, of seduction to the vision. So this is about each one of us stepping up in our own visionary capacity to hold our piece of the big vision. Okay, so if you get my point, there's lots of visionary energy being called forth at this time that we are sharing on this planet. All over the globe, not just here, everywhere. Big visionary time being called forth. So the visionary energy, the archetypal energy, is moving through you and it hits your fearful heart. Then that energy gets diverted into the liar. And you lie to yourself, your own personal lie stories. It also gets diverted into the big lie, which is the lie of separation. That there is some separation between the physical and the spiritual, between the mental and the emotional, men, women, my country, your country, all of these different lies of separation. That all scope back to the fundamental lie that you are separate from the divine energy. By whatever name you call that energy, what you need to get a grip on is that you are one with it at all times. Whether or not you feel that is up to you. But that's the deeper truth. So, um, visionary energy in shadow is a lie, which is your little personal lies. The big lie, that you're separate from the divine. And self-denial, which is you may not be lying to yourself, but you are denying yourself. You are denying your intuition. You're denying the truth of your body. You're denying your passion. Denying your heart. Denying your insight and intuition, your inspiration in your mind. Denying aspects of yourself that could be leading you towards your vision. So the shadow energy um, of the visionary is kind of sneaky. Because lying's kind of sneaky. Self-denial's pretty sneaky. We do it pretty quickly. And so it's really, really, really important to understand for yourself what clears my heart. What clears my heart so I can move out of doubt. So when I move out of doubt, I'm able to see clearly within myself my lies and my self-denial. And from that place, we're able then to move with a clear heart into the integrity and the impeccability of cleaning up my little messes, my little lie messes, my big lie messes, my self-denial messes, the choices that I've made in my life based on these fearful places. To start caring for myself and cherishing myself. And in that place of care and cherishing, my heart can be clear. And that we move into a place where we're willing to do what we say, which means we shouldn't be saying anything we can't or won't do. And these are the things that bring us back to a place of simplicity so that we can begin to draw our energy out of the lies and the stories that are false and the self-denial and motivate that energy towards the manifestation of the new vision. And, of course, ultimately, we hand that new vision off to the warrior to get it done. But part of the value of the visionary energy is not just the vision we want to hand off to the warrior, but the ability to see honestly internally, to draw our energy out of all of the ways our energy and resources are allocated to maintain false stories, stories that are no longer true, lies you tell yourself, the separation you think is real, the self-denial involved in every contemporary American life, and that we rise out of that and draw our energy out of that, story by story, moment by moment, and mobilize that energy and those resources towards the vision, towards your soul's purpose. So this is the um, work, then, of drawing the energy out of the shadow manifestations of the visionary and... Um, taking those resources to redeploy them towards the creation of the new vision, the new life, the new whatever. <laughs> 
whatever the new thing is. So the new thing can simply be the life looks the same, but what's changing is your relationship with yourself. And that is a big gift from the visionary, is to reorganize our relationship with ourselves. So it is not fixated on what's not working, but is really focused on the big vision of who we are, what is our soul's purpose, and why are we here. So thank you everyone for joining me today. We have one more section, and I'm certainly open for your questions and your ideas, so um, please feel free to contact us. Welcome back, everyone. Um, In this last section, what we're going to talk about are the life processes of the seer, so that it fits in with our series we've been doing, because remember, every archetype oversees um, an aspect of life processes, and life processes are the patterns of living that arise again and again and again in life. And the more you can understand Um, or recognize the pattern of the life process, you can get a sense of, oh, this is what's going on for me, and let me participate in it so that it goes richer, fuller, and completely to its close. Because every life process has a beginning, middle, and an end, and at the end is a gift for you. But if you never finish the process, you don't get the gifts, and life feels really challenging because the beginning parts of every life process are usually kind of challenging. And so if you only go from beginning to middle and then bail out, life is not really a whole lot of fun. And so what we want is the gifts from the life processes. So it's important to understand what the life processes are of the archetypes and how to work within them. So before we go into that, there's um, a question here from Phil, who's in um, New York. And Phil's question is, if one can't see the visions of one's future, how does one get that energy unstuck and start those visions flowing? Well, the challenge here, you know, first is diagnosis, is at what level of the being are the visions stuck? The probably most problematic but easiest to fix, I mean, as long as you have a shaman in the house, is soul loss. Often, um, as children, our visions for our life are are either um, dismissed or not um, encouraged or ridiculed or told they're wrong or replaced by somebody else's visions. All these things happen with someone's, with a child's visions of their life often. And the visionary part of ourself or the person within ourself that holds the visions can just say, well, screw you all, you're no fun, I'm leaving. So we can lose the part of ourself that carries visions. So if you really truly can't see the future for yourself, can't imagine any possible futures for yourself, I would check there first. Maybe there's been a really serious piece of soul loss, either around the part of yourself that carries your soul's purpose, the part of yourself that carries the capacity for visioning, or the part of yourself that feels passion towards your soul's purpose, because passion gets a bad rap in our culture, or even the part of yourself that feels desire to live the soul's purpose. You may feel the passion, but not the desire to do it. So there's there's some mechanics in the whole process of um, not only seeing our vision and our soul's purpose, but feeling passion and desire for it. So there could be soul loss is the really long-winded way to say that could be part of the problem. The other part of the issue could simply be your own energy habits. You know, you could be in a deep energy habit of self-doubt. And it could just be a habit of a way of looking at the world. And so that can be changed just through working with the power of inner visualization to reshape the way your energy flows and that attitude around um, self-doubt or around um, having a clear heart. So that would be maybe the simpler level with soul loss being probably the deepest level. So there can be kind of anything in between in terms of what it is that's causing us to not be able to access visionary energy. Um, So there are lots of options. The most important thing in terms of how do you get the energy unstuck and start the visions flowing is is to diagnose what is the problem, why are they stuck, what is the block, and then what the remedy. And to do that, and then begin to exercise your visionary capacity. And that means the simplest level is daydreaming. Another level is to start paying attention to your dreams and recognizing that you know free visionary time that happens every night if you're giving yourself enough sleep and enough quality of sleep for dreaming. But the main thing that I'm really getting at is to actually spend some time in the day 
opening up to your visionary capacity through inner visualization, inner visualization work. So um, there's, there's a whole lot there. That's a really long version to Phil's answer, um, uh, his question. Um, what are the good, his, his second part of his question is, what are good ways to stay in touch with one's passion and vision in the day-to-day world? Well, the best way would be to be doing work in the world that is a good vehicle for your soul's purpose. And then the very nature of the work connects you to your passion. Um, this is also true if you're parenting or you know, anything where the work of the day is seen as a vehicle for your soul's purpose. Now, for many of you, that could simply be shifting your awareness to think about how is my work today, whatever your work is, a vehicle for my soul's purpose? How can I make my work a vehicle for my soul's purpose? So, for example, I used to have a job that was not remotely a vehicle for my soul's purpose, as far as I could tell, but it paid the bills. And many of us have that situation. There's nothing wrong with that. So what I asked my helping spirits to clarify for me is how could I use that job that was not actually a great expression for my soul's purpose to um, to be an expression of my soul's purpose. And that job, which was just horribly harassing all day long, became an opportunity for me to see more clearly my own issues within myself and do a big old bunch of personal work. And so although it wasn't a great vehicle to express my soul's purpose directly, it was an excellent vehicle, excellent vehicle to get out of my own way. So, and I didn't, and I got to the point where I loved that part of the job so much, it was a little bit sad to leave because I learned so much about myself and how to get out of my own way by going to work every day. Um, my whole attitude about the job changed. So, that would be my simplest answer for Phil today. Um, but I'd like to get back to the life processes before we run out of time here today. So, the life processes of the seer um, have to do with the first one is truth telling. And truth-telling is the medicine that comes when we've lost perspective of, uh, on any level, to be willing to speak our truth, at least to ourselves, and in that speaking to allow the energy to begin to flow. And one of the things that stops this is this idea that what we speak, A, has to make sense, and B, has to be true for all time. And the point of truth-telling is to begin with the truth in the moment. And sometimes the truth in the moment is kind of embarrassing or humiliating. But it needs to be spoken anyway so that it can be honored and recognized for what it is and it can start to move so that we can find the deeper and deeper layers of truth um, in which we live. Um, the life processes of the seer require a willingness to live in integrity and impeccability so that you can stay grounded while you're working with the visionary energy and stay in your passion and to sense the vision that most truly calls to you so that we're looking for the vision that most strongly resonates with your own soul. Um, so the other aspect of the life processes of the seer have to do with living in integrity and impeccability. How do you do that? Um, another aspect of the visionary energy is um, surrendering to your true nature. And this is a way um, to compensate for that um, seduction and addiction energy is if you simply surrender to your true nature, you're whole and complete in that moment, surrendering into your true nature. And then you can reconnect with the skills, largely from the teacher, to find balance, wholeness, and sovereignty. And then from that place, you can open up into your clear heart and reach out for the true vision again. And so the true nature energy helps you with vision. And the last piece of the visionary life processes that is so fascinating is learning to work with your dreams, how to craft your dreams, and how to sort dreams, which are dreamy when they get manifest, from fantasies, which are nightmares when they are manifest. So these are the life processes of the visionary. All right. So what we're really talking about then is we've just we've just explored the fourth year in a sense of the cycle teachings and how that helps us to refine the wisdom of the mental body because most of us as contemporary people westerners in particular are excessively versed in the domain of the mind. Um the issue is 
are we refining our connection in the mind into actual wisdom? Um, which is, you know, a debatable question. Uh, so anyway, the important thing to understand about shamanism, though, is shamanism practiced without acute mental clarity, without cleverness, without curiosity, without crafting the right questions, just really isn't shamanism. And it's important thing that shamanism isn't for people that aren't smart enough to do anything else. It really does um, require the application of um, a wise mind, a curious mind, um, a mind um, perfectly shaped by, for example, the fire monkey year that we're in right now. Um, anyway, so refining the mental wisdom body. And this is largely locked away in our um, inability to distinguish ourself from our mind. Um, and that's what I mean by we're, we're well-versed on our mind, but many of us have no gap between our mind and its sense of itself and our sense of ourself. Like, so our mind isn't a tool, in other words. It, it, it is us and we are it and there's no separation. And that's a problem. You actually really can't practice shamanism very deeply from that place. It's very hard to enter altered states without being really pushed there by a plant hallucinogen. And then, you, then the problem is you may get there in those moments, but then there's still this challenge of the application back in everyday life. So the issue here to really get a hold of and refine our mental wisdom body is creating this separation then, this um, not separation, but the ability to have awareness of ourself as something, a being that is separate from our mind. Because we are our mind and more. So until you can tap the more, you can't really refine your mental wisdom body because you're trapped in it. You know, you have to be able to embrace the big thing and love it to transform it. You can't be in the middle of it and not able to wrap your arms around it, basically. So in other words, we have to train our brains. Um, so to begin this process, I would suggest if, if, if you haven't, begun this process, I would suggest that you purchase Charles Eisenstein's book, The More Beautiful World Our Heart Knows is Possible, and read it, period. This is a great way to start to refine your mental wisdom body. As a philosopher, and I mean that in, this, in the most respected sense of that word, as a philosopher of our contemporary time, Charles speaks to our minds through the mind's own language in a way that forces the mind to release its chokehold on itself, on us, and on our hearts. It's a very, very powerful piece of work from that sense. And um, it's, it's my best answer if you want to begin now to refine your mental wisdom body. That would be the place to start. So our guides in refining the wisdom of our mental body are the visionary or the seer. Um, the one that teaches us how to see in many ways, not just the far future vision, but to accurately, re accurately reflect back, to see deeply within, to see possibilities. All of these many, many um, acts or the art of seeing. And the other guide in refining the mental body is the enchantress who helps us to actually access the crazy logic of the mental realm. And this is a very tricky a power of the mind to gain a connection with because of the mind's training in the contemporary Western world to stay strictly in reason and logic. And it cuts us off from one of the lovely aspects of the wisdom of the mental body, which is its own crazy logic. Um, so as we work with the, the true code of the visionary, to, to connect with that guidance the visionary has to offer is a return to honesty and integrity and in how to live it. And um, it, it teaches us then how do we get out of our own way? Well, the only way we can get out of our own way is to be able to honestly um, assess how we are in the way and to acknowledge that it is us that is in the way, etc. So anyway... So the true code of the visionary is about um, how we learn to get out of our own way, to allow it to unfold, and um, ultimately allow um, our life to become an innate expression of our unique genius. And this is the right use of the past, and it requires discipline and practice of self-reflection outside of any judgment, blame, or shame. 
Now, the true code of the enchantress is to sense the resonance of your unique genius and all the many options the visionary opens for us and to guide us in that true challenge of the clear heart to find that one that sings most beautifully to you, resonates most clearly with you, and up, opens up most passionately your deep core being um, to be expressed through the effort to manifest that vision. And so the enchantress is helping us in that um, choosing, is discerning clearly with the mind, both logic and crazy logic, to choose and to manifest then that vision. Um, and a, an example um, of this, um, I was reminded of as I was teaching the birth of the visionary. So we were certainly working in the realm of the wisdom body of the mind and refining it. And as I was teaching, I was reflecting on myself in the in the midst of teaching about it, and I really um, became clear that um, as we came into this new year, there were some some aspects of shamanic practice I feel deeply passionate about. There are many I feel deeply passionate about. But I realized at my age and uh, with the time I have left in my life, I need to focus and choose and find the aspects that um, really most powerfully resonate with my unique genius so that I'm able to contribute the most that I can to the larger world, to the, to the bigger system of life. And I, and I recognize much to my um, heart's sadness that the two of the three things I feel most passionate about I had to let go of for now and really focus on the work of the cycle and how it teaches us to be the people who will be able to initiate the young, um, tend the ancestors and the dead and to, to heal our ancestral lines and to focus on bringing the babies in in a good way so that our culture no longer is failing us. And I really saw how I needed to focus on that part of a much bigger vision that I see for what could be happening in the world. And as soon as I made those choices, as sad as I was to make them, I mean, it really broke my heart to make them twice because there's two things I had to really let go of that I love and care deeply about. All of a sudden, the clarity and the vision and the inspiration and all of this energy that comes from the wisdom of the mental body opened up around the things that I had chosen to do. And so this is, this is a big challenge for contemporary people, especially those of us that feel really called to do good work is we, we're, we're doing a little bit of good work in too many places. And so this is the crazy logic then in the wisdom of the mental body is what do you need to choose and then to do it. So how do we engage the wisdom of the mental body? The first thing for most people is you need to slow down your thinking and learn to focus. Now, shamanic journey, learning to do a shamanic journey is actually a great means by which to do this because you are forced to slow down your mental, your normal mental thinking, to stay focused on your intention of your journey and open up your imagination and curiosity. Uh, It's a very different um, way to engage in the power of your mind um, and it helps to definitely reposition us so that we begin to refine the mental wisdom body. And the beauty of learning shamanic journeying is then you also have the power of shamanic journeying in your life. So as a tool to access your mental wisdom body, it's a great tool and you get the side benefit of then having the power of journeying and a means by which to create a relationship with your helping spirit. So that would be a great place to start. Another way would be to do some sort of dance practice or physical body sweating practice that forces you to sink your mind into your body and just be in your body Um, and let the intelligence, the rest of the intelligence of the mental body communicate with you. Your whole body is innervated. There's intelligence of your mental body through your whole nervous system in your body. And yet we crawl up into our head. So the important thing is to sink our energy into our body so that our mind can move out of an excessive place. Um, It's important to do the things that clear your heart regularly. What are the things that move you out of doubt and clear your heart? I mean that literally. What is it singing? Is it being at the dog park? Is it playing with children? What is it that clears your heart 
and to do that regularly so that your heart stays clear. It's important to do things that engage your imagination regularly, to keep your mind agile and flexible, engage your imagination, your curiosity in a way that is playful and delightful. And um, it's also important to play, to do things that are um, have an unexpected outcome and, and it require that you kind of engage that um, dualism between the sage and the wisdom and the child. It's important. It's also important then to engage the dynamic between the ego and the adventurer. The, it's important throughout your entire life to engage these different energies that are meant to be in this complementary dualism within you to keep your mind in the fullness of its wisdom, not just locked down in the reason and um, logic of the mind, but to keep opening it back up to the aspects of the mind that move into the crazy logic that exists even in the mind. Okay, so moving on to the fourth part of this um, visualization, a way you can begin to engage with your um, refining the wisdom of your mental body. Yeah, Um, through working with a meditative practice, a meditative visualizing kind of practice. Okay, so you want to remember first the roots of the energy into the earth that we began with first and all of that visualization that you did and then the right raising your little energy ball of consciousness up to the garden and all that you've been working on there and cultivating the garden and then moving your energy ball up into the third chakra and the right use of your will and so when you have all of those energies um, open and working and your little energy ball can move easily Um, up and down with those uh, three chakras, making sure they're connected and communicating with each other. Then you can bring your little ball of energy up into your heart and let your awareness that's up there now into your heart to see the four chambers of the heart. They can be four beautiful chairs or four intimate spaces that open on to each other. Um, Some kind of space that's created that has these four dynamics but also allows intimacy and connection and conversation and communication. And then reach out and open the windows of each space allowing the energy to move in and out of the heart and breathing in new energy and out the old Um, energies and notice um, the vessels of wisdom all around the chamber Um, they can be the um, the books of the teacher they can be the practices of the wisdom of the physical body all of these vessels of wisdom of all the bodies that live there in the chambers of the heart And connect with the power that rises up from the earth through the chakras and refines as it rises, um, as it comes up into the heart, into the diamond in the very center, hovering in the very center of this chamber that holds the essence of your heart. And allow the beams of each chamber to radiate into that diamond, into the essence of the heart and be refracted out onto each other. So the wisdom of the physical body, the wisdom of the emotional body, the wisdom of the mental body, and the wisdom of the spirit body are all beaming into that diamond in the center of the heart. And the rainbows are refracting out that diamond all on to each other. And allow the beams um, in each chamber to radiate through. Allow yourself to begin to see the shimmering protection the sphere of energy that surrounds the heart and the diamond that's in it and then allow the heart's uh, essence to radiate out into the world and allow the world to radiate back and in this way you allow the mind to sink in and to be held in the center of the heart and allow your mind to sink down into the heart and to be held by true love. So I give thanks to the ancestral helping spirits that teach us all of these things all the time, again and again. And I thank them for teaching them in a way that we can understand. I give gratitude to the earth below and the sky above and the heart that unites us all. 
I want to give thanks to everyone who really understands the exchange of energy that is um, why shamanism now being listener supported. If this show moves you in any way, if it's moved you in the heart, and please do that most fundamental of shamanic things and allow that movement in your heart to motivate your actions in the world. So I give thanks to Douglas and Shane. Give thanks to Chad and Jessica, to Malama, to Darcy, to Craig and William and all the listeners who are able to donate financially to show. And I am grateful for those of you who are not able to donate financially, but find some other way to support the show and help it to grow. So to all of you, I give great thanks. Thank you for helping us all to act on what has heart and meaning in the world. Thank you, everyone, and have a good week.